Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity's Podcast. So excited to have today with us back on the podcast, our friend Dick Foth for a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we jump into our interview with Glenn Davis, who works with Chi Alpha at Stanford University. Um, learned so much with him about um, the culture of the day, what's going on in the universities of America, and how we can minister with um, integrity. Dick, so excited to have you back with us on the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be on with you and with my friend Glenn Davis. That's that's tremendous. You're having Glenn. I love it. Do you know Glenn? I do know Glenn. Yeah. Yes. yeah phenomenal. He's he's, he's, he's a, way too smart. I, oh I don't wanna, man, I don't like hanging out with smart guys like that. Yeah, he is. That is <laughs> that is an understatement. He is a smart smart man. Dick, um, question for you. Two questions, and you might take them together however you want to. But the question is: Did you listen to the rise and fall of Marshall Church? And what were your thoughts on it and many takeaways? Short answer is no. I did not listen to the rise and fall of Mars, Mars Hill Church. Uh, bits, only a couple of bits, actually. I'm aware of it, but I have a number of colleagues uh, across the country who have listened. So what I've done in prep for this was to call them and yeah. say, this is what I picked up just in the little piece I heard, but what did you hear? And so... The takeaways would be this, the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church, and I have friends who live in the Seattle area. Um, it, essentially, I would frame it this way. Whenever you have a, a strong, charismatic leader, hmm. male or female, old or young, um, and they develop a following, uh, which, which I would define as a movement, the following tends to be around both content and style. Okay. And here you had someone who uh, was very strong, um, a young woman who listened to all of it, a young um, colleague said uh, abrasive. Hmm. When I ask guys about it, they say, you know, he, he called out young men to really be men. Yeah. Sort of John Eldridge, wild at heart, uh, but took a left turn. If yeah. I can put, that's my phrase. Yeah. yeah. Um, where you add stuff to it, or you do it in a particular way that um, gets mixed up, because if there seems to be success, hmm. and we human beings are famous for this, I am. You know, if something's successful, I want to emulate it, copy it, see why it's successful. Or to use a more biblical word, if there seems to be fruit. Hmm. Or if there actually is fruit, hmm. that's when it gets confusing, because wow. you have n numbers. I, I can I can name names and say a number of things in my years of life, where people who ended up uh, not doing so well, there early on particularly there was fruit that was solid stuff, hmm. and so that that kind of following. If you don't have people close to you to speak truth to power, hmm. in plain terms, you get the fathead. Hmm. And, and you start thinking you're the one with all the answers. Hmm. And, and the people around you, uh, in this case, apparently, were not free to challenge because they got run over. That's yeah. the language that was used. Yeah. You know, get on, get off, or get run over. Um, and that's sad. Hmm. Uh, so I think the takeaway is, you know, I asked somebody one time, why do you think Billy Graham, of all of the people, all of the, quote, big names, didn't take a fall in the way so many uh, either evangelists or big name, quote, spiritual leaders did? And the only thing they could point to, because here's a tall, gangly, North Carolina dairyman, dairy couple's son, if you will. Uh, who was was very simple and direct hmm. in his message about Jesus. And by simple, I'm, I mean distilled yeah. in his message about Jesus, who spoke to more people in my lifetime, millions around the world, than anybody else. Hmm. And they said this, early on, he chose four or five guys to walk with him, whether hmm. it's Grady Wilson or George Beverly Shea or Cliff Barrows or whatever who acted as an organic accountability group, if hmm. you will, uh, not just for keeping guardrails up, but for accountable for the dream, I think. Yeah. And if you don't have that, 
you're just you're just headed for deep water. Hmm. And that seems to be what has happened. You can't deny authentic fruit, but you also can't deny the trail of bodies and the collateral damage yeah. that has continued. Yeah. And so yeah. that would be the takeaway. So if if you're in leadership, make sure you understand that you're the lead servant and have somebody in your life who will say, Hey Jack, you know, yeah, you're, you're heading down the wrong road. <laughs> I did listen to it and I could only take it in about 20 minutes seg segments because it was, I don't know. It was the, you could, the feeling of it, the whole thing, I said, the music and all, it just made, it put me in a funk. So I could only yeah. listen to about 20 minutes and then I had to listen to something else and come back to it. But right. anyway, Dick, thank you for your wisdom and insight. And uh, over the years, we've, we've talked in the past about your experience with seeing pastors and, and missionaries and go through difficult times. And uh, yeah, I never forget you saying the question about um, Dick, you shared what you shared, what you needed to share, but that they need to hear it or something like that or something in, in one of the conversations. So that was Dick Dalvin saying to me during the PTL thing. Yeah. I, I sort of gave, gave a thought to somebody who had been a dear friend was really struggling. And he just looked at me, Dick Dalvin's the, the, family counselor looked at me and said, you know, because I said, don't you think he needed to hear that? And he said, I don't know if he needed to hear it, but you desperately needed to say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, 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 anyway, I remember that very well. Well, Dick, we're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Glenn Davis. Learned so much from him. As you said, he's a wise, wise soul and uh, just had fun learning from him, his wisdom and insight. We're going to go ahead and jump into to that. There's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend, Glenn Davis. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Aaron. Glenn, um, Jay and Cheryl Taylor, they speak very highly of you and my friend Dick Foth also very highly of you. Would you just take a few minutes to just share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, as you said, my name is Glenn. Uh, I have been ministering with a ministry called Chi Alpha Campus Ministries, which is the college ministry arm of the Summers of God USA. Uh, and I've been working at Stanford University now for 19 years and with Chi overall for about 25 years. Uh, my wife working alongside me in that endeavor and uh, love the work that I do very, very much. Yeah. What does an average day look like for somebody working on a college in Stanford, working on a college campus or serving on a college campus? Uh, campus ministry is one of those jobs that's hugely flexible um, because we are serving college students. Um, we have a very um, uh, uh, strange rhythm. So, for example, we just got back from spring break, um, okay. which most jobs uh, you don't have this like two week gap in the middle of the year where just <laughs> all of your workforce disappears. So yeah. uh, I just got back from Israel with a couple of students. Um, uh, but more typically, uh, I'll wake up, I'll come to campus, uh, get here around 10 a.m. Uh, and begin one on one meetings with students. Uh, usually the leaders in our ministry trying to disciple them uh, and uh, give them perspective on the various challenges they're facing in life. Um, one thing that's interesting about college ministry uh, is uh, you're always watching people encounter things for the first time. They're, they're, they're 18 years old. They're 19, they're 20. It's their first serious boyfriend or girlfriend. It's their first um, decision about a job or summer internship. Uh, it's their first time having to go home after having lived away for a wow. couple of months, trying to figure out how to engage their family as an adult. Uh, and so they have very predictable um, questions that come up again and again, just on a practical level, laying aside just the spiritual questions that everyone's wrestling with. Um, and then uh, I'll, depending on the day, I might be leading a Bible study, um, a leadership team meeting. Um, and then in the evening uh, on Wednesdays, we have a worship service on campus, uh, which is very much similar to a, uh, a church service in its structure, okay. um, but held in a, a building that we borrow on the college campus. Yeah. You mentioned spiritual questions. Are there common spiritual questions that you see come as students as they process on the university campus? Yeah. So I think when I talk to people about ministry at Stanford, they often assume that I get these unprecedented questions that the students here are so brilliant. They're so smart. They're, they're generating all these things that we've never hit before. And it's actually completely the opposite. Um, they wrap their words in larger vocabularies. There's a lot of 50 cent words in the conversation, but it's the same stuff that people always have wrestled with. Um, if there is a good God, how can there be this level of suffering that I see yeah. in the world or in my life or in my friend's life? Um, uh, what should I do? I don't know how to discern what God's will is in a certain situation. Um, uh, why should I trust the Bible? Um, uh, isn't there, you know, evidence to be corrupted over time or like, you know, it's just some sort of, um, uh, you know, 
uh, we have a very arbitrary way of translating it and underlying text is quite different. The, the things that people have always asked Stanford yeah. students ask as well. Wow. Very, very interesting. One of the things I wanted to get your wisdom and insight on today is serving on a campus like Stanford. You're you're there where seeing developing cultural trends. And I just wanted to get your insight on some cultural trends that you're seeing, because many times the people are listening into the podcast, we receive um, students coming from the college campuses in the U.S. and they land, say, land Nairobi, Kenya, and um, we we're not we're not up to the cultural trends that are going on on the college campuses in the U.S. So really, it'd be valuable for us to to learn your learn from you today. Sure. So any any cultural trends you're seeing? You know, honestly, at this point, I think that all the trends that, that would be um, strong on the college campus have already permeated out in the broader culture. Like there's going to be a new cycle at some point, um, but the most dominant would be um, uh, a huge focus on um, uh, embracing the implications of the sexual revolution back in the 60s and hmm. 70s, um, uh, the, the sort of reaching its, its current culmination uh, in transgender ideology. Um, uh, a strong on oh, now this is California campus. So those who don't know Stanford is in California, it's in Silicon Valley. Um, uh, so uh, very close to the headquarters of Facebook, Google, all these globally influential companies that, that tend to hire tons of Stanford grads. So many of my alumni work for these um, Silicon Valley iconic companies, hmm. um, uh, which therefore the, the, the ideologies that are sort of um, embraced by students at Stanford filter their way into places like Google and Facebook and other places that have influenced over our lives, as well as our government, and our military. Um, there is this um, strong uh, uh, sense of racial justice um, that, that is, I'm not sure how pervasive this is across universities in America and how much it is um, distinctively a California or Stanford thing, um, but the strong emphasis on equity uh, as opposed to equality um, and uh, a sense that um, whenever there's a disparity in outcome, it's always uh, evidence of injustice and hmm. wrongdoing needs to be rooted out and dealt with. Um, uh, a strong hatred. Hatred, is that that's too strong a word? Let me think about that. A very strong aversion and instinctive dislike of um, American conservative political ideologies um, and American conservative political actors. Um, uh, I actually had a, a student a couple of years ago who was physically assaulted in the dorm uh, when someone discovered that they had voted in a way that that person didn't like. Um, uh, and that's not normal. Um, uh, but the level of division here, we're seeing mirrored in the broader culture. Um, but I think it started on the college campus first. One thing I haven't seen as much here um, that I've been encouraged by, um, American college campuses sort of are famous now, infamous now, um, for being places where diverse views are not allowed to be promoted. There, there's this cancel culture, shut people down. Um, there's definitely this group on campus that doesn't like different viewpoints being expressed, but I've not really witnessed an effective cancellation of someone um, or a shutting down of an event. Even recently, a couple of students um, uh, from a student organization uh, tried to bring in um, uh, former vice president, Mike Pence, a very controversial figure um, on campus. Uh, and uh, they were initially told they could not, um, but then they, they argued and it wound up working out and there was a large event. People turned out um, and people weren't, not everyone was happy about it. Enough people were happy about it to fill out the room. Uh, and uh, I haven't seen the cancel culture phenomenon really manifest on my campus, which I'm quite thrilled about. And, uh, and so is that something, is there trends maybe you might be concerned about? Um, that was a positive one. There's not the cancel culture, but maybe with mental health or any other trends you're seeing on the, on the campus? So uh, Stanford students, so there's been a, a surge in mental health problems on college campuses for the last, I don't know, two decades or so. Um, and the ones that manifest vary from campus to campus. Um, Stanford tends to filter for people who have high functioning mental health issues. Um, someone who might be obsessive compulsive in some way, um, or someone who um, really struggles with anxiety, um, uh, where they're able to sort of channel that into a way that leads to productivity um, and into um, uh, uh, achieving good grades and creating lots of, of good papers and getting their, their, their programs and problem sets done and whatnot. Um, other campuses, I think, struggle with different issues. Those don't, just because you can make that effective academically doesn't mean it helps you interpersonally. Um, uh, so what I've seen is not so much um, 
a change in the, the level of mental health issues more so much as uh, not more. So I've seen a change in the way people negotiate that they talk about it. Hmm. Um, uh, I hear the phrase neurotypical uh, more this idea that there there's um, uh, uh, neurodivergent versus neurotypical. Um, there's not a good or a bad. It's just, you're like the way most society is, but maybe the way you are is just fine. Um, and society needs to accommodate to you. Um, I don't know if you've ever read um, uh, uh, Carl Truman's book um, uh, the, uh, about the modern self. It just came out about a no. year or two ago. I'm, I'm blank on his mind right now. But in it, he, he, he channels a couple of different um, philosophers who over time have become foundational. And one of the ideas that I find very helpful, both from him and a, a blogger named Rod Dreher, um, who uh, is based in Louisiana and is a very insightful cultural commentator, Orthodox Christian, like Orthodox in the like Eastern Orthodox sense. Okay. Um, uh, talks about liquid modernity and expressive individualism uh this idea that just who you are the, the way that you become the way that you live best is by just manifesting your inner self which of course antithetical to so much of christian theology like what your inner self <laughs> needs to be is crucified right. um uh, uh and then then you know christ needs to live in you um and there's good in there you're made in the image of god but the the the, the crud of sin is greatly um uh, pervaded the yeast of sin is pervaded throughout the entire uh, uh, seat of who you are, you need a cleanse, you need a renewal, a rebirth. That's not an idea that many students resonate with. Um, that if there's anything wrong, it's, it's the, the restrictions holding you back. And so, um, uh, you, if you have some sort of mental health issue, it needs to be greeted with great, treated with great sympathy, uh, and care, which I would of course agree with. But then very often people have this idea that, um, society needs to change to accommodate you rather than you need to, to change, grow, or develop in a way that, 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 that serves society better or serves needs of others better. It's a very um, self-centered way of thinking about reality. I, I tell a joke about once a quarter, maybe once a year to my students, they always hate it, but they always laugh. Um, how does the Stanford student change the light bulb? They hold it up and the room revolves around them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 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 my wife likes to say Stanford students are flakier than a croissant. Um, that, uh, <laughs> that everything is about them. Um, and everything is about their needs and their desires and their schedule and what's, what's convenient for them. Uh, and this is true of believers as well as unbelievers. It's just something about the culture here um, that very much, um, uh, ever, I mean, everyone wants to be that way at some level. Stanford really empowers that. Yeah. And that is true when it comes to um, mental health issues as well as other yeah. things. Um, yes, I'm sorry. You, you probably no. have a question I've been talking no, about. No, that's, that's phenomenal. So how does that translate? Um, you share that, a college like Stanford is the steering wheel for society. So what's beginning there? And this, do you see that that will impact broader cultural trends? If it's the idea of the changing the light bulb and the room moves around the person, do you see that that is something that maybe will bleed out into broader culture? I'm sure it all will. Like I remember when um, uh, the woke phenomenon was really beginning um, and uh, watching on a college campus sort of roil about and thinking, uh, so much of what people were doing um, would never be able to translate into the marketplace. Like, like at some point, you, you you're being coddled by your professors and your your university administrators who were veterans of the hippie movement, and they 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 remember them being on that side, so they want to empower you. But then, like you're out there, and your boss is gonna be like, "No, you need to come to work. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do the other thing." Uh, and then the opposite happened. Um, at elite, and this is what I had not really taken into account in elite corporations. So. This isn't necessarily your corner, you know, Kroger or 7-Eleven or something. Uh, this is at the New York Times. This is at Google. Um, this is at these, these companies where they disproportionately draw from students who went to Stanford, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, you know, internationally, Oxford, um, places like that, um, where they're all receiving the same sort of messages about the, the way that society should be structured, the way that we ought to live, the way they ought to be. Um, and uh, these corporations, by and large, um, yielded completely the ground to their young insurgent employees um, and just said, we're going to do it your way. Um, and what that's, how that's going to sustain, I don't know what's going to, how that will filter out to broader areas like, you know, like your local 7-Eleven. Um, I'm not too clear on, on how that culture transmission is going to go, but um, I would not be surprised if um, the trend continues of um, purported bosses just yielding to their employees. And so if students come out with a strong sense of, entitlement in various ways, we're going to see that manifest in the lives of people who wind up having great influence over the rest of our, our lives.
Yeah. And so uh, what wisdom would you have for, say, a team leader that works in some country and they're receiving college students and they're coming with that that idea and they can't necessarily bend and be flexible to everything they want because they're right. focused on a, on, <laughs> on a, on a mission. How, how, yeah. What wisdom, how can they, how can they navigate that? Be the grown up. Um, uh, like I think I mentioned earlier that the bosses yielded to their insurgent employees. They didn't have to, hmm. they chose to, um, uh, be polite, be aware. Like as a leader, you're always, trying to think through a variety of things. One of them is not just what am I saying, but how am I being understood? Um, mm-hmm. What I want is for my words to have their desired outcome, for my, my policies to have their, 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 their purpose achieved. And so I'm always trying to think through how will the people that I'm serving uh, in this way understand what I'm doing. And so you have to be aware of these different dynamics. I will say there's a difference between believers and unbelievers. I'm talking about a team leader on the mission field. Um, uh, then you're taking people who probably have had a very different experience of a place like Stanford or Missouri state, um, or, or whatever campus it is, uh, that you're drawing from, but you should not assume that everyone is on the same page, uh, politically for sure. Hmm. Um, uh, or that even if they're on your, your team, whatever team you sort of, uh, affiliate with, um, that they're on board with, with all the sort of little like markers on that team. And so anytime you're talking about something, um, that is a matter of controversy in America, you should at least be open to the idea that, um, some of your team, uh, has a very different perspective on that than you do. And so walk, walk thoughtfully in that, um, maybe there's a way you need to go and that's just the way you need to go, but the way you communicate it uh, and the way you, you engage with people, um, just needs to be more deliberate when you realize there's tension over that. Um, I've noticed that in particular, um, uh, young women, um, uh, tend to, to draft drift farther left than the young men. Um, uh, and so just know that, and, and I would assume it is still true in AGWM, uh, that, um, you tend to have more young women joining the mission force than sure. young men. Yeah. Um, and so uh, just be aware that that is very much an, uh, a trend on American college campuses, um, for a variety of reasons. In addition to the fact that there's more women yeah. on the college campus than men nowadays, um, so which has led to a feminized culture. So when you say drifting left for listeners in that maybe don't necessarily like for me, I've been out of the United States for so long, probably no. what was right and left for me now has okay. totally changed. You know what I mean? Um, sure. So how, what would that look like drifting left? So, so let me, let me reframe it then instead of left. Um, uh, the something I've noticed that even within um, uh, what, so, so the assumption is at a place like Stanford, that if you walk into an evangelical uh, space, uh, a, 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 a tr- traditional Christian space, that everyone there is like a diehard Republican who's going to like vote for Donald Trump and, and die on that hill or whatever, which has never been the case. And it's certainly not the case now, but the perception is there. Um, but it is, I think, indisputably true that um, re- traditional religious believers tend to find themselves um, gravitating more towards the American political conservative tradition in a variety of ways, um, uh, including on matters of, of, of race and matters of um, sexual ethics, um, where in, the, in America on the right, um, uh, if you see a disparity, the, the emphasis is far more on fairness as, mm-hmm. a, um, as a measure of justice. We, what we want is for people to be treated fairly and given a fair chance. On the American political left, um, there's a very different approach um, to race and a very approach to sex, sexual ethics. Now, it's odd that these are like entangled with politics. These are, 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 are more fundamental human realities, but very much the way in America it's playing out. Um, this is part of the political discourse. Um, and so on the left, the emphasis is far less on fairness of procedure and far more on um, equality of outcome. Um, that uh, I alluded to this earlier, if there's a disparity in um, any so disparity in income, where you can say like women are paid less than men, or or, or Hispanic people make make less than Asian people, or whatever. Um, on the left, that is almost always presumptively um, evidence of injustice somewhere that needs to be corrected. Hmm. Um, on the right, sometimes and sometimes there's a different um, solution that comes forward. Um, uh, and then on, on matters of sex and sexual um, ethics, um, the right traditionally um, has been sort of you know. The, the, you know, mom, dad, get married, have kids. That's the model. Um, 
not always observed by the, by the elite within the conservative movement who are, who are often, um, uh, depraved sinners, like, like you would expect, um, on the left, um, <laughs> Uh, you find a more open embrace of of that, and in some cases, on the on the far left, like the socialist sort of um, sort of more uh, uh, progressive side, um, even a, a, a hatred of traditional sexual model of of a, of a husband and a wife, um, and even a dislike of those terms. One thing I've noticed is that you, you almost always, if I meet a secular person at Stanford, they will not use the phrase husband or wife. They prefer the phrase partner across hmm. the board. Um, because it's a neutral phrase that leaves open the possibility that, that they might be gay, um, which is a cultural positive. Um, uh, uh, and also it doesn't make from that perspective, someone who is in the LGBT sort of continuum, uh, it wouldn't make them feel standing out because they, they, you know, historically could not have said husband or wife or whatever. Um, and also it doesn't imply that husband or wife is better than long-term boyfriend, girlfriend, um, or multiple boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever. Um, the, the term partner is, the, the word of choice for a variety of secular people at Stanford. Um, I find that um, even Orthodox young Christian ladies, um, in, in the sense of their, their personal values and the life they hope to live, they tend to be more um, sensitive to these cultural norms and willing to conform to them verbally, um, whereas um, uh, some of the young men are, are more combative about these things um, or um, passive-aggressively noncompliant. Um so pronouns. Um, uh, uh, I've frequently been asked, urged to share my preferred pronouns in various settings. Um, to my knowledge thus far, I've always declined or avoided. Um, uh, but I've noticed many of the younger ladies in our ministry, just, they, they include them in their, their various bios, their emails, footers or whatnot. Um, I don't think it's a matter of orthodoxy or not. I, I do think it's a matter of wisdom there. Um, uh, but I know, notice fewer of the men doing that more of the one. It's, it's, it's a, a surprising amount. Richard Han and I has written about this. He's a uh, American political commentator. You can find him on Substack. Um, but there is a, a gendered um, dynamic at work in the American cultural divide right now that is not often appreciated. But once you notice it, you see it everywhere. You see it hmm. everywhere. Hmm. Um, uh, and so just if you have a lot of young women, there's, there's, um, likely more ideological diversity on your team than you might assume, even if they are doctrinally orthodox. Wow. Um, uh, there's probably cultural, there's divergent cultural perspectives on how things should be handled or discussed. I would not be surprised if we're seeing that increasingly on yeah. HWM yeah. teams. Yeah. And so to the pronouns, what yeah. does that mean? Preferred pronouns. That means that you, share how you want to be referred to or what, yeah. how does that play out? So, yeah. Um, the idea is that it would be wrong of, of me to assume Aaron, that you are a male, um, or that you desire to be thought of as a male, or that even if you do think of yourself as a male and desire to be thought of as a male, um, that the pronouns that most reflect who you sense yourself to be on the inside are either, you know, he, him, or she, her, they could be something very novel like Zer or they, them, um, uh, uh, something of that sort. And so not only should, um, we normalize asking for pronouns, um, we should normalize just proactively volunteering our pronouns so that other people know, um, the, the right way to address us. Hmm. Um, uh, that is pervasive at Stanford. Um, and I think many other campuses in America right now. So how do you navigate that from a biblical perspective? When you said you decline, um, is that, is that, is that the way you navigate it is just to decline or, or do you try not to speak into it or, cause this is new to I've me. Avoided so I'm, speaking I'm just trying to, I'm just trying it's to, a, it's a blizzard. It's a, it's a, it's a blizzard of knives. Like there's, there's no good outcome to me mm -hmm. having this debate with someone. Um, because if I'm being asked to do it, it's, it's by definition, I'm not in my own space. Um, okay. like this is not happening in a Bible study that I'm leading. This is happening when I'm attending some sort of function at the university, um, that I've been invited to participate in. Um, uh, and so they're like, would you, everyone, you know, please introduce your name and share your pronouns. Um, and that's just the norm in that space that they wish. And, um, I don't, I, I hesitate to say it's a matter of, of biblical, like, I don't think the people who do it are sinning. Okay. If that makes sense. I don't yeah. think it's sinful to share your pronouns. I can think of no verse that would say that it is. Um, uh, but I think that it seeds too much 
in terms of the, 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 the baseline of the conversation that we're having. Um, it takes for granted this idea that gender is both up for grabs and something that we just get to decide ourselves. Okay. Um, both issues, which I, both, both claims that I would take great issue with um, and have strong opinions about that I do think are rooted in scripture. Um, and uh, I, so far, I've been able to, to my, to, as far as I can remember, never, never actually having had to do that. I don't know what I'll do if I'm ever put in a place where it's either share or leave. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because I don't think it's sin. I do think there's an issue of wisdom here, though. And, and because it's a wisdom issue, like a lot of factors could play into what the right choice is. And I'm, right now, I'm filling out application forms through something on campus. Uh, and the, literally, the first question is name and pronouns. Wow. Um, and so right now I have my name, uh, and I'll see if they accept the application. If they don't, um, in this case, I'm quite happy to walk away. It's no big deal. Um, uh, but so far, uh, what I've counseled people. So we, I had a student, um, a couple, about a year or two ago, uh, who's a PhD candidate, um, uh, who's there for, she's teaching a class and she told me this departmental policy. Um, that honor syllabus, she has to include her pronouns. She wondered, um, what do I think about that? Um, and I said, do you mean, what do I think about the policy? Or what do I think you should do? She <laughs> said, she's curious about both. Um, I said, I think it's a dumb policy. And if you have a chance to speak into it, here's how I would do it from your vantage point. Um, you have to deploy arguments that are going to be persuasive to your target audience. And so the arguments that I would use in, in my heart are, are completely invalid to them. Um, so instead, what I would say is, I think even in terms of achieving the goal you want to achieve, this is a, a short-sighted policy that is kind of productive. Um, uh, imagine in your class, uh, the, the reason you would do this is to make people in your class who are um, sort of developing this sense of gender awareness um, feel more comfortable um, uh, and, and feel more, more welcomed in whatever outcome they arrive at. Um, and I think this is actually going to have the opposite effect because what you're doing is you're taking, say, you're, say it's a freshman class, you know, their first week on campus, um, you're saying, all right, share your pronouns. Now, one of two things is true. Either one, well, one of a few things, um, one, they, they might have gone on this journey and discovered there's someone different than, than their parents have known them as their whole life. And they're very comfortable sharing that with their friends and they, they put it out there. Well, that person doesn't need help feeling comfortable. They already do. Um, the other is there's someone who's starting to suspect there might be something happening in their life. and They're very confused. and There's a lot going on. Um, and you're saying choose now and put it on paper and let everyone know. Um, you're either going to have them, uh, out themselves before they're ready, which is a big no, no on that side of the, uh, in your world, or you're going to force them to adopt and publicly, uh, proclaim an identity that they actually don't feel secure in, but it's the only thing they know how to do. And you're going to lock them into it. Um, in either case, um, you're not helping them grow. You're not helping them with the thing you say you want to help them with. And so I would say the policy you ought to advocate for internally um, is people are free to share their pronouns if they're so inclined and free not to if they don't. And that preserves the greatest space for the growth you want to see. And from my angle, also preserves the greatest space for the freedom of integrity that I want to see. Um, But um, as far as what you should do, you should put the pronouns in your bio. And the reason is it's not your choice. You have a job. Um, this is not a matter of sin. They're not telling you to bow before bail. They're not telling you to go, you know, murder someone or, or sleep with someone you're not married to. They're just saying linguistically describe yourself in this way. I think your boss has a right to do that. Uh, and, uh, if you don't, if you're unwilling to do it, don't take the job. Um, but, uh, uh, it's completely reasonable for them to do that. Um, and for you to follow the policy. Um, is it, is it acceptable to say for me, could I say that, um, he and him, is that in his, would that be acceptable? Or of course. That, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I would say um, you're, when you do that, you're already shifting the debate away from where the debate needs to be. If this is where the competition is going to go, you're, 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 you're biasing the entire playing field away from biblical orthodoxy and away from even, I would just say sane human thriving. Um, and you're creating trouble for yourself down the road that you may not even see yet. And so I, 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 I think it is unwise. Now I don't think everyone agrees with me on this, even Orthodox Christians. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, for me, it's, it's, it makes me so nervous. Um, 
Uh, words matter. There's something I've, I've noticed on a college campus a lot is that one thing that, that student activists are very good at doing is harnessing language to change thoughts hmm. um, and uh, creating uh, a label on something um, that then presupposes the outcome that they want, um, which is why justice is such, is such a contested word. It's, it's labeled on everything right now, like blank justice, like social justice, environmental justice, racial justice, all these things. Um, because once you tag justice onto your your other word, then, and, and you then define what justice is in that space. Justice is recycling, justice right. is whatever. Um, then there's no way that you can be opposed to that without automatically putting yourself in the lower moral position in the debate. Wow. Um, uh, and, um, and there's lots of other examples of that, but, but by the, the way that pronouns are working out makes me nervous. There's, um, there's a cultural end game that we're not going to be happy with. Yeah. Um, and, like, are you actually in doubt what my pronouns are? Look at me. I'm, a, I'm like, I'm an evangelical minister with a beard. Do you really have questions about this? No, you don't. And since you don't have questions about it, the issue is not the pronouns. The issue is my giving you the pronouns. And that's a power play. You wish to demonstrate power over me. Um, and there's a reason you want to do that. And it's probably not for my benefit. Yeah. So a team leader, somebody shows up, uh, a university student shows up on a team or maybe at a workplace, maybe they're not on it and they, they ask for the boss or their leader to share their pronouns. They could, they could, the boss or the leader could, could decline. <laughs> if that happened on the mission field, honestly, I would tell you, just laugh, okay. just laugh. Okay. And literally say, you can call whatever you want, but are you in any doubt? Like, is this actually a question for you? <laughs> yeah. That's good. Like we don't do that here. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. And I'm sure I would have got the question sent to me. Why did I didn't ask you? So I just thought I'd just yeah. go ahead and ask. It, so what yeah. is shift the conversation just a little bit to um, sure. sexual integrity in ministry. And um, as Jay and Cheryl and I uh, were discussing this interview, that's one thing they, they said I, I needed to actually another question after this one, but this is one that I needed to ask you lessons you've learned and maybe trends you're seeing that maybe you had not seen in the past. I'm, I want to make sure I understand your question. Um, sexual integrity ministry, mean like how to not have an affair? What are you talking about? That, that, would, be, that would be it. How not to have an affair, how to navigate these the different changes in sexual identity and those types right, of right, in right. ministry and stay, and stay integrous to what you believe. How do you, de- how do you decide where there is there lines? Is there not lines is I was in a service this Sunday and the pastor said, you know, the, the gray, what we would have called gray in the past has now become white. And you know, this, this blending and how do we maintain our integrity as ministers of the gospel and navigate some of these cultural issues when it comes to sexual integrity. Yeah. Does that, does that right. make more, okay. does that help you? I think so. I think so. So I'll tell you what, I'll give you some answers and you tell me if I'm just rambling in the wrong yeah, direction. That's, sounds um, good. So uh, I've always been pleasantly surprised at how little um, sexual immorality there is in Chi Alpha Campus Ministries USA. Um, like from my perspective, um, it's less than you would find among the youth pastorate at large in America. Which, for the record, most youth pastors are stand-up people, and most most ministers are actually following the Lord and honoring with their lives. Like the reason scandals become news is because it's unusual. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, if it was if it was commonplace, it wouldn't be news. Um, but almost everyone has been part of a church um, where, or you have a friend who's been part of a church where the pastor has, has had to resign in disgrace, or the youth pastor got fired under mysterious circumstances, or you know something else has happened. We, we all know these stories. We see them in the news with high-profile yeah. uh, megachurch pastors, um, uh, where it seems to me like there might even be a, a, an issue of the, the way the system is set up that, that leads them to, to face greater temptation without the accountability and support that they need. But we see less of that in Chi Alpha than, than I would expect. I think there might be a few reasons for that that, that are non-spiritual. Um, one is uh, there's more screening uh, in order to work with Chi Alpha. You have to do you have, you're under AGS mission. You have to do the background check. You have to yeah. um, go through a psych screening, all these various things. Um, you have to have a level of training. Um, like there's a 10-month um, probationary period where you're, you're being mentored hardcore um, in your C- campus mission and training your CMIT year. Um, and all these things are unusual in a lot of places in ministry. Yeah. And so there's a lot of filtration that happens there in terms of um, moral um, rectitude and wisdom. Yeah. 
Um, a simpler one, though, even beyond that, is um, uh, college students do not find me sexually appealing. I'm, yeah, I'm a middle-aged, uh, not all that handsome dude. I look like their dad or their, you know, my wife looks like their mom, yeah. uh, maybe an uncle or something. These are not people that they're, they're tempted um, by, yeah. uh, which means that, um, uh, and I'm not the only figure of this age in their life either. Like maybe if I'm a youth pastor or something, um, I'm, I'm, I'm like often youth pastors younger, they're, they're deceptively close to the high schoolers in age or whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm way beyond that, but then there's college, there's professors all over the place. who got way more status than me. Um, when we're like all these, all these things that might complicate it from their end are not there. Yeah. Um, and from my end, um, I guess that helps, right? Like one yeah. thing that you pray is Lord, lead me not to temptation. Um, uh, and, uh, as instructed. And, and so I'm in a mission field where I don't face a lot of temptation in terms of, of people who are seeking, um, weirdness with yeah. me. Uh, on my end, um, just a common sense rule. Like just, I, I, I sometimes tell students, um, how do you live a holy life on campus? Um, well, think about what you would be doing if you were trying to seduce someone and do the opposite. Don't do those things. Mm. Um, so, well, if I was trying to get with a guy, you know, I'd, I'd dress up this way and I'd go to this party and I just, okay, so don't dress that way. Don't go to that party and don't do those things. Like <laughs> that's how you anti-seduce someone. Right. Right. Likewise for me. Um, uh, like I, I know that I'm within me. There's a bent towards, um, I mean, every sin is within me somewhere, right. Yeah. Uh, whether it be greed or envy or lust or, or bitterness or whatever. Like, and so I just need to look within myself and see if I wanted to give that sin full reign, what would I do? And then don't do those things. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a, uh, uh, a joke I heard a couple years back. I mean, know, probably from a pastor or something, um, about, you know, a young guy, you know, complaining to his dad about the, the rules that he put on the day. Like you can't go park anywhere. Dad, why won't you trust me alone in a parked car with a girl? And the dad said, because son, I wouldn't trust myself alone in a parked car with a girl. So why would I trust you? And I thought that was, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Like yeah. I, I, the rules that I make for others, yeah. I better be willing to live by leaders are examples, not exceptions. Wow. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I think this and Bible says, you know, not many of us should presume to be teachers. We who teach will be judged more strictly. I think there's all kinds of reasons for that. One is we have greater insight into the word. The other is we tell people what to do. Hmm. Um, and Jesus was pretty harsh in his criticism of the Pharisees for you set the bar up here, but you live down here. He, he told people you do what they say, but don't live how they live. Yeah. Um, I don't want that ever to be said of me. Like I try hard to never make rules for my students. I don't live by myself. Um, uh, and then make same rules, um, for the yeah. minute I say rules, but like the things I say in sermons that you ought to do sure. this, you ought not to do that. Yeah. Um, basic stuff. So I've never been a fan of the Billy Graham rule. Okay. The, uh, never be alone with a woman, um, who's not your wife. I think that, um, uh, I understand why he developed it. Um, but it creates, um, uh, I think it creates problems down the road in terms of, of people not feeling, uh, empowered, mentored, discipled, called forth into leadership particularly women. Um, uh, but he's right that you need to be very thoughtful about where you are with people and when. Um, and I would say in today's culture, the thing that I would add is you should not take for granted that just because it's another guy, if you're a male, uh, that it's safe. Like I, I was meeting with a leader on ministry just three weeks ago who said, I have something to tell you. And I was like, I'm all ears. And he said, I've always been attracted to men. I'm like, okay, well, that's really useful information to know. Now he and I were meeting alone at the time. Um, yeah. uh, and I felt like I said, I feel fine about that, but, but I'm meeting alone, like not at midnight, <laughs> right? not like in a parked car somewhere. Right. Um, uh, we're meeting in a, in a, in a, in principle, public accessible place, very visible place. Um, I do that with both men and women now for yeah. sure. Um, uh, and, uh, just be really honest with yourself. Um, look, uh, if this makes sense, embrace your inner judger. Um, hmm. If you know that you would judge the tar out of someone else for doing something, <laughs> if you would read that in the New York Times, you'd be like, oh, yeah. Okay, then don't do that. Yeah. Just make sure that – as I ask myself this actually somewhat regularly uh, when, I'm, when I'm trying to debate between should I do a certain thing or not. or Like if I read this described just neutrally in the Stanford Daily the next day, like a yeah. paragraph about leading into and then the story that follows, would I feel comfortable? And if the answer is no, then even if I objectively know that my heart is pure, my desires are, are above reproach, that things are fine. Nonetheless, 
I should not do that thing. The Bible says, do what is right inside of all men. Um, and, uh, uh, we need to be alert to that. Um, bearing in mind that one of the things that is right in Solomon is to not discriminate between men and women, um, uh, insofar as you can. Yeah. Um, uh, our culture would go further with that than I would. I do think it's important to recognize that men and women are different in a lot of ways. Here's an example of that. I, we had a student, um, a month ago, uh, right before spring break, um, uh, caused consternation in her class, um, because they were, um, uh, it was a Latin class and they were reading an account of the martyrdom of, um, uh, someone, I forget who perpetua maybe. Uh, and, um, in that, uh, martyrdom account, um, she has this vision that she becomes a man and fights off all the people trying to martyr her. And the student's like, why would she imagine she became a man? And the student in my ministry goes, because men are stronger than women. And like this <laughs> deathly silence fell over the room Wow! <laughs> because she had said the unthinkable, this, this obvious biological truth, um, that, um, nonetheless was like that, which cannot be said out loud. Um, because they had no, no, no wonder woman movie back in that day where yeah. some woman does these absolutely improbable physical feats, um, uh, and just feeds all these men. Like that was just this obvious, like if you want to fight off all these people, being yeah. a man would help. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a chunk of women now, this is not across the board. And I think, I think, Christian women in particular have a deeper understanding of this than, than the secular culture, but there's a lot of people that don't think men are stronger than women just in general. They don't think that men have a biological advantage in the way their muscles are connected and various things uh, that leads to greater strength. Um, and uh, it's, it's really bizarre to watch it play out. Hmm. Hmm. One last, one last question for you, Glenn. I know you're, I've, I've been reading your blog when the Jane Cheryl shared, um, about you, I've been reading your blog. Can you just share a little bit about your blog and um, the joy you find you find in doing it? Yeah, so I've actually been blogging for like since before I moved to Stanford, two decades now. Not aggressively. I'm not a super. Um, uh, I've never been part of the blogosphere conversation ever. Um, I'm just. I'm a, I'm a nerd at heart. I, I love computer science stuff. I was a computer science major. I like programming. I like coding. Um, it just makes me very happy. Anyway. So this is part of a way of staying connected to my nerd roots and, and doing part of that stuff. Um, but then a few years ago, um, when racial unrest really began to grip America afresh, um, uh, there had been um, one of several um, police killings of unarmed black men. Uh, and uh, it had really gripped the campus. And it happened the day I was to preach. And I just realized I can't not. I have to talk about this. Yeah. Um, so I had a summer prepared, um, but I was like, this is not all that I need to say today. Um, and I got up and I talked about um, uh, how, as Christians, um, we should always be open to the idea that um, uh, the criminal justice system has been wrong because that's the foundation of our faith. The criminal justice system got it wrong. Hmm. Jesus was crucified unjustly. Um, and so we're not always um, on the side of um, uh, society versus the individual. Um, uh, and talk more about, I share all the stuff about race and, um, uh, one in Christ, et cetera. And a lot of people said nice things to me afterwards. Um, uh, but I remember thinking I've not laid a good foundation with them for this. Like I, I tend to be a very expository preacher. I pick books of the Bible. We just finished going through the Sermon on the Mount verse by verse for the whole last quarter, um, last two quarters, actually. Um, uh, I tend to approach the Bible that way. We'll just pick a book, Leviticus, work through it. Um, yeah. which doesn't always lend itself to dealing with cultural controversies. Um, which means that when something comes up you to deal with, um, you're sometimes coming people out of left field. They don't know what your convictions or foundations are, or, or things that you think are salient to the conversation. And so I, um, began, I think the week after, maybe two weeks after, um, began, um, sending out an email to my students every Friday. Um, that I just call things Glenn found interesting. Um, uh, and what it's meant to be is a set of articles, um, sometimes videos, um, links on the internet more generally, uh, that are meant to make students think about deeper cultural, theological, social issues, um, hmm. in a way that they're probably not being exposed to consistently at Stanford. And what I tell students is I don't expect you to read all these. Like usually there's seven main links in the email. Okay. Um, but I just want you to skim it, find one that interests you, right, right, you know, right click, open a new tab and read it when you have a chance. Um, and uh, I've been doing that now for several years. Um, I'm on volume almost, I've almost done it 400 times, I think. Yeah. 
Um, very rarely. I missed last week because I was in Israel. Um, but uh, missing weeks very, very rarely. And what that has done is it's given me great freedom when there's a major thing that comes up. So when Obergefell v. Hodges came down, the, the gay marriage decision from the Supreme yeah. Court, um, I didn't have to respond to it that day with an email to my students. They all knew Friday's coming. Yeah. And Glenn's going to give us a bunch of stuff. Um, and that gave me some breathing room. Or if something happens on a Friday, I can just say, hey, guys, I know this yeah. thing just happened. No one's read anything about it yet. Let's wait a week. Yeah. It, it gives me space to address. Everyone knows I'm going to talk about the stuff, but I've got time to build up to it. And then when it's something you talk about from the pulpit um, uh, and sort of address the whole community, um, I've, I've laid a foundation with those students who are at least are engaged with this um, to see things. Now, I don't always share things I agree with. Sometimes I'll share something I think is wrong, but I think is interesting and illuminating about where our culture is at. And I'll maybe put a footnote or, or, or a disclaimer saying, it's like, this is where I think maybe this goes off the rail. Um, uh, but it's been very helpful, I think, to our students. Um, yeah. I know that some alumni have, have, and the reason I do it on the blog as well, email is the email just goes to people in our ministry currently at Stanford, like who are on our, our mailing list um, at this in the Stanford mailman uh, listserv. Um, by putting it there, it's more accessible to people outside. So if any of the listeners want to check it out, yeah. um, we'll uh, put a link just to Google it. for Glenn Davis Stanford and you'll find it. But uh, theglendavis.com, one in on the Glenn theglandavis.com and the subscribe link is sort of on the right sidebar about halfway down the page. Yeah. We'll if put you it find in. Fishing, feel free. I'll put it in the show notes. Glenn, it has been a joy um, to spend some time with you, to learn from you. Will you pray for us today? Absolutely. Uh, God, I thank you for Aaron and for the Clarity Podcast. And I pray for the listeners, God, wherever their ministry uh, field is, whatever mission you've put before them, God, I pray that you would go before them. You make a way you would, uh, you would create openness in hearts that they can never engineer or manufacture on their own. And Lord, give them the discernment to see that open door and the courage to speak into it and to take advantage of the opportunity you've laid before them. God, I do pray uh, for the sexual integrity of, of all the ministers um, who are out there. Um, Lord, our culture, our world is watching us like hawks. Let us live above reproach, live wisely, live as children of the light, not as children of the dark. God be glorified, and we pray for great revival, not just in America, but around this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 